Oh hey, you're listening to Pep Talk, a podcast launched during the national lockdown in April 2020 to celebrate and support our favourite New Zealand businesses. Join Grace Creft, ex-lawyer and former owner of Sweet Bakery and Cakery, to hear about how some of our favourite businesses built their brands, the ups and downs along the way, and what we can do to support them, both now and once business as usual returns. So, are you ready for a little pep talk on your coffee break? Then here's your host, Grace. So seven years ago, while she was living in Auckland, Felicity was on the hunt for some pots that she wanted to keep her houseplants in, but she just couldn't really find exactly what she was after. So she signed up for a local 10-week course in pottery to learn how to make her own pots. Then if we fast forward to today, what really did back then start out as a hobby has now turned into a full-time gig for Felicity and her brand One Dare. They have become one of the best known and most sought after ceramicists and just all-round good creative folk in the country. I'm very lucky to get to call Felicity a friend because we both live here in Greytown in the Wairarapa and our kitties play slash steal toys from each other like three-year-olds do on the regular. But we did actually record this chat in our respective homes which are only about 500 metres away from each other. But you know this episode is just so packed with our cackling laughter that I think we might have heard each other in real life a little bit as well. Felicity really is just so warm and talented and downright lovely and I know that you're going to love hearing this whole One Day story directly from her including how it all started and um, some of the challenges of growing a creative business while holding on to your passion plus of course her very exciting vision for the future of One Day. So get ready for a very fun episode. Hello, hi Felicity, welcome to Pep Talk, how are you? I'm really well, thank you, thank you for having me. Good, oh thank you for coming on, and Felicity was just telling me that she is not feeling 100%, she's got a bit of a cold, so very grateful for her being here to have a chat, and we will be kind to you. (laughs) (laughs) And and for everyone listening as well, Felicity actually lives very close to me, because we both live in Greytown, but we are separate in our respective Greytown houses right now so I think you're what like 500 meters away from me right now Felicity oh absolutely I can almost wave yeah but I haven't got it set up for recording in the same space because when I launched pep talker it was all during COVID and obviously we couldn't be in the same place so I deliberately set it all up so it was online only and then now we're in a world where we can be in the same place but we also can't so that's fine I was imagining it was going to be like Mark Maron. What's that? Oh, it's like if he's a comedian and he's uh, starts a podcast. There's a show called Maron, and he interviews people and he's set up in his garage. It's good. You should watch it. Sidebar. We can do that. That sounds good. Um, I don't. I'm not sure the acoustics would be great in the garage though. Ah, oh, true. Egg cartons. Lots and lots of egg cartons. Yeah, yeah. Too many hard services. <laughs> I have talked to one of my guests was inside their car. Actually, a couple have been inside their cars, which is good. I'll be nice and quiet. Yeah. Yeah, and like lots of soft finishings from the chairs and stuff that absorb sound. So there you go. Car chat. I like it. <laughs> All right. Well, this is actually very relevant because your first question for your this or that's is also car chat based and uh this is plane or road trip 
I haven't been on a plane since my first son was a baby, so I'm going to have to go with car at this juncture. And also because we can't really fly anywhere. Maybe Queenstown. Everyone's going to Queenstown. Yeah, we're totally going to Queenstown later this year. <laughs> Damn it. Yeah, you're so right. But yeah, so where where was your last plane trip that you went with Redford? It was to Dunedin for a family wedding. And it was so lovely. And I used to fly all the time. I used to go on holiday and, yeah, single, young, footloose, fancy free. Yeah, none of the shackles of responsibility (laughs) that come with being a (laughs) grown-up. No, I sometimes drive to Wellington and it's like a big event. That's a road trip. That counts. (laughs) I like it. All right. Next time we've got, so I was thinking of this for you while you're working on your ceramics. Are you radio or podcast? Um, I'm actually more talking book. I have to oh. say I do. If it's sunny and the weather's nice, then I like to listen to music because I find that really motivating. But generally a lot of my work is quite um, repetitive and if you don't need to think a lot, it's more working with your hands. So I quite like listening to really long rambling talking books on audio or of course pep talk podcast of course nice drop that in there i like the way you call them talking books yeah i guess or audio books i suppose audio book i feel like talking books makes it sound like the talkies you know like back when (laughs) cinema was a thing (laughs) well i was really into them when i was a kid and so we used to get them from the library on cassette on a cassette yeah and i used to listen to them to sleep all the time when i was a kid and now i still do it as an adult so comforting all right and then this is a bit maybe like making you choose between your children um but i'm not gonna make you choose between your children but instead a bowls or cups uh that is a hard one i'm gonna go with bowls because i don't know they're easier to make (laughs) i was gonna say is that because the handles on the cups are really annoying oh man cups and mugs and cups are so popular and it's awesome and I started up a little side business called Mugmates which is a mug subscription a few years ago and it was so wildly popular and it's about to come back again I've seen that yeah but um so it's awesome that they're so popular but they're also super fiddly to make and each step has to be executed at just the right time and if you leave it to get too dry then it um or the handles are in here as well, or they can crack, and yeah, trying to do time-sensitive work with children is quite, it's quite difficult. Of course, yeah, okay, and you can eat a lot of delicious thing out, things out of a bowl, so. And they can just be beautiful, you know, objects, if they're decorated nicely, just pop it up on your shelf. There's a mug, I feel like mugs and cups, they, you know, they have purpose, and they have to fulfill their purpose, which is good, because coffee right because we need the coffee (laughs) (laughs) but yeah also like because my sister has one of your bowls that she made in a workshop with you and it's her like you know how you always have a key bowl in your house not (laughs) sorry that's not like a put your (laughs) (laughs) that wasn't like a please put your keys in the bowl kind of situation that was like a dumping ground by the front door for all of your stuff when you come in So, everyone, my sister is not a swinger. She just has a ball for her keys. <laughs> anyway, we'll move on from that. Last this or that question for you is um, pizza or pasta? Ooh, oh, this is hard. Uh, I pasta to put in my bowl that I made. No. Yeah, appropriate. Mm, that pizza then, that's really hard. If you had to choose one for the rest of your life, which one would you have? Oh, 
Oh, pasta's just so comforting. But pizza's so versatile. Mm, okay, I'm probably going to go pizza because my children are more likely to eat it and that would stop them complaining. And, my, <laughs> That's and, a and the rest thing. of my life will be much more enjoyable while we Therefore eat pizza. Therefore better, <laughs> yes. Okay, pizza wins. Yeah. Although um, Demi's really into eating just like bowls of cold plain pasta at the moment, mm. like spaghetti, just no sauce, not hot. So you know, toddlers are little weirdos. You just never know. Easy, I love it. Tender <laughs> yeah, <over>. easy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, nice work. I, they weren't too mean. They were quite easy, really, Maybe. apart from pizza or pasta. Yeah. <laughs> These are serious life questions, Grace. I know, we've really got to think about these things. All right, so to begin with, it is always keen, like it's always cool to hear a bit of your personal background before we kind of get into the more businessy side of things. So I obviously know you, but I've only ever known you while you've been in One Day Life. I don't know pre-One Day Felicity. So I think I read that you used to do visual merchandising. Maybe you can tell us a bit about that part of your life, that kind of pre-kids, pre-ceramics Felicity version. Oh, she was so fun. Wild. No. I miss her. <laughs> Spent a lot of time at Mighty Mighty. Um, <laughs> nice. I probably saw you there. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> oh, my Maybe we were friends in the toilets at Mighty Mighty. Oh, I'd love that. Probably. Probably. Um, so for, I went to university down in Dunedin and studied clothing and textile science, which is um, really technical and very much research-based. And so when I came out from doing that, I found there wasn't a lot of creative jobs that came along with that. A lot of it was very much um, lab-based, which sort of wasn't where I saw myself going. So I ended up getting a job when I moved to Wellington at Esprit, which used to be on Manton Key, and started doing the visual merchandising there and dressing the mannequins and setting up the handbags and working in the children's department. Um... And it was a field that I didn't really even know existed. Visual merchandising in New Zealand isn't something that you can study. In Europe, it's massive. Like, you can do a full three-year degree. But in New Zealand, it's always a sort of another sidebar of retail. But for me, it just sort of came really, uh, really naturally. And so I ended up spending four years at university to get a job that I did not need to do anything for at all. But I spent <laughs> that happens to the best of us. <laughs> I know, right? No, still paying for it. Still paying for it. <laughs> Does anyone use their degree? Uh, I don't know. I'm probably using it more now, actually, than I'm working with glaze chemistry and mm, things like that than yeah. I ever did before. But um, So I spent the next 10 years working in visual merchandising both for um, a range of clothing and other retail sectors and doing freelance window dressing and creative display design and then got into doing some commercial Christmas decorating, like decorating whole walls, like two-story high trees for the cherry picker. And Oh, wow. Yeah. Did, you, did you do that yourself as like freelance or did you work for a company that does that? I contracted to a woman on Auckland who had a small company and yeah, so she we worked together and so it was a lot of mass buying of baubles and installation and I remember installing a Christmas display at Coastal's Mall and it was on the 2nd of November and just being like verbally abused by the public being like what are you doing Christmas is for ages <laughs> it's not time yet I'm like oh man I'm just being paid like I know I'm with you like it's really like and then this year I was like Christmas stuff was out before Halloween I was like oh my god 
Yeah, so true. But also, I love that you did that because I love Christmas. Oh, same. I used to love it. I would decorate the tree at home, and my mum has put beautiful Christmas decorations, and I just loved it so much. Um, but it's it was one of those things where you do a little bit too much of something you love, and yeah, I became quite grinchy for several years, <laughs> and no decorations and no tree. I don't want to see a bauble ever oh, again. Honestly, oh my god, <laughs> too too many trees one year. <laughs> 19, 2009. But um, now having kids again, obviously, it's very exciting. And, you yeah, know, the one minute Christmas it. is great for them. And so when I moved, I went and traveling overseas and lived in Australia for a while. And then when I came back, it was time to, to get a job and a proper job. <laughs> Settled down. So I moved to Auckland and I had a job. Envision merchandising with a company that I really did enjoy, and um, I was working part time in Hospo, and that was when I wanted to get into pottery, mainly because I was living in this apartment in K Road, which is pretty urban, and had quite a few houseplants, and really wanted nice pots to put them in, but there were so few places to get them from. This was in 2014. And so I went and did a 10-week course at Auckland Studio Potters and learnt a huge amount of different techniques and and ways to construct ceramics and make my own pots and it just grew from there. That's so cool. So you, so this, I feel like a 10-week course is quite a big commitment. Was it, did you think it was just going to be a hobby or did you think, oh, there could be something in this like business-wise at that stage? Um... Well, the teamwork course sort of just lined up with the term, and it was on a Tuesday morning, because by this stage I was um, back doing contracting, visual merchandising, working in hospice, so I had Tuesday mornings free. So it was really nice. We'd go along, and everyone would bring a shared morning tea, and there was lots of sort of older ladies that had been going to the same course for quite a long time, so it's a very social time. And I think I had the brand one year already, which I sort of come up with when I was traveling and had looked at using it for a different project to do with. Um, I was working distributing bicycles for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and I sort of started looking into doing some bicycle accessories sort of manufacture. This was, and that was in 2007 and eight, And it was just sort of before the really second big wave of cycling cultures kicked off and it sort of just didn't really end up going ahead. So um, once you start making pots, especially in a club environment, you have to put your mark on them, maybe your initials or a symbol or something that identifies your pots as your own. So when you get so them out of the film, yeah, you know which ones are yours. So um, I started using the brand that I had and worked with my brother to develop the logo and things. So it wasn't necessarily about selling a lot of pots to turn it into a, the business that it is today. It was more um, to identify the pots and then to start just making some money to pay for more raw material. Because clay and it's a very expensive hobby and <laughs> business to get into. Everything, everything costs. And I guess quite a lot of equipment, right? Like, do you, did you have to get buy in some stuff so that you could do this at home, or did you just keep doing it in the Tuesday morning club? No, I got quite quickly into doing it at home. I sort of before I started doing it, I had visions of getting a wheel into my apartment and 
you know, it was a very romantic kind of ideal. And then as soon as I started working on the wheel, especially being a novice, it's incredibly messy. Like, clay's <laughs> flying everywhere, water, spraying. <laughs> so really quickly, I realized that working on the wheel, it was going to take me a long time to be able to build large pots the size that I wanted to put my plants into and that I couldn't do it at home because it was just going to be way too messy. Um, but I discovered the technique that I still use to make my pots today, which is hand building using soft slabs. So that I could do, you know, and then my kitchen bench. And so I just started making some pots at home and then I'll transport them to the club for firing, which was great because they're still able to fire the pots. And the biggest hurdle that anyone sort of comes to with pottery is actually getting the work finished and fired. Because if you don't have a kiln, you can't, you know, you can't really, you, you can't chuck your pieces in the fireplace, you know. <laughs> but you can. With the oven. You can, but it's not, not quite hot enough. And it's used to like 1200 degrees Celsius. So, oh, is that how hot it goes? Yeah, and, and hotter. That's sort of just a general mid-fire. But, um, wow. Yeah, so you really need the kiln to have that sort of specialised piece of equipment. Do you remember a moment where, like, the first time someone paid you for one of them, or is there any, like, moment like that that you were like, oh, I'm like, this is commerce now, like, it's not just a hobby? I think because I set up my Instagram account quite early on, and it was more to document, and it still is mm, the same account that I've got now, to document my journey with working with play. I don't just post pictures of completed pots or works that are for sale. I post um, work in progress and behind the scenes yeah you know that kind of thing which is how I've always operated it so I stood up really early and got contacted by Alice Lyons from Homestyle magazine and I'd only been making pots for about six months by then but those ladies have got their fingers on the pulse of what's going on out there so I ended up having a feature in Homestyle and I, that was after I'd been potting for like six months and that was where it really took off from there you know, I had inquiries for stockists um, and, you know, other opportunities opened up with collaborations and it's just sort of grown and grown and grown to, yeah, where it is now. Still just me. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, and so were you still in Auckland at that stage or when did you make the move down to Wellington? Um, I made the move the following year, but I, in between that, I had to move out of my place that was in K Road. And I decided that I really wanted to get my own kiln because it really is the biggest hurdle to, mm. to, to moving forward with being able to produce more items or just try things out when you're not worried if they fail um, as opposed to putting them into a club firing. The turnaround can be quite slow um, and pieces can get damaged just because there's so much pressure on the volume of work going through the kilns. Um, so I kind of just set my search on Trade Me to find a house and a rental because I lived by myself as well to be like one bedroom but must have a garage or a studio. Well, I and, thought you were going to say must come with a kiln. I was like, mm. no. Did that bring up many results? Imagine that. No. And so um, I the, there was like a couple and so I ended up moving out to Bethel's Beach which is way out West Auckland um, which is somewhere that I always wanted to live and I always wanted to live at the beach and it was quite a big move. I found it quite an emotional move to be moving from the very centre of the town because there was not there was no cell phone reception. But I had this cutest little house and it had a garage and I got my first kiln um, that my parents and my dad kindly helped me 
um, invest in and I just potted all night and all day and I was working three jobs including the potting at the time and yeah it was awesome it was now I look back on it as such a pivotal time of my life and I went for walks on the beach and it was it was really it was a really special time other than I was in a long distance relationship and then after six months I moved to Wellington to be with my now husband Oh, I know. I know. (laughs) Beautiful. It was a great move. It was the best move I could have made. That's worked out pretty well. Mm. (laughs) Nice. And I want to know, I know that you touched on name and that you'd had the name for another thing and then it came into, became your Maker's Mark and things, but maybe you can tell us a bit about what it means to you, like what the meaning behind the naming is. So the word one there is a completely made up word and my main reason for it is that I wanted to have something that when you googled it it didn't come up with any hits mm-hmm. it was its own un- unique thing um, which can be both good and bad because people don't know how to pronounce it or spell it um, but generally they get it right I feel like it's fairly phonetic luckily mm. yeah. um, but it just kind of it came up with it when I was traveling and just in cases that idea of like wandering and wondering and a curiosity it sounds quite cheesy now but <laughs> no I like it it's beautiful and it's it, yeah it's just it's I know it's a made-up word like you say but it's just like become its own thing right like a lot of names do they kind of become what they are given to yeah that was good I'm glad. thank you <laughs> nice <laughs> and we also talked a bit about social media because I feel like this is like a big part of what you've done but not in like a not in a really strategic way or anything but just like like you said you've kind of just naturally documented your process and what you do and and it started as a hobby and that's kind of given it a real authenticity I guess a little bit with the social media but has that been a really big thing for you in terms of getting you know building awareness kind of building a loyal fan base and and all that I feel so grateful to have the people who um follow along and comment and send me messages and reply to my stories and it's it's so lovely and it's so genuine and I was listening to your most recent podcast earlier this week about building brain identity and things like that and I was just like man I didn't do any of that (laughs) (laughs) because I guess it is just so organic and I think that all of the things that I learned from working in retail for you know the 10 years before I started potting and all of the experiences that I had visual merchandising and working in hospitality all of those parts of the jobs meant that I could build the business that I've got now and nothing was necessarily a conscious decision along the way it just all came fairly naturally from having learnt you know what you say about you you might not be doing all the things that you know the rules of like whatever social media and digital and all that stuff but like I guess the point is that what everybody is trying to create is something authentic but it's incredibly difficult to do that in reverse whereas what you've got is a genuinely authentic brand and brand voice and personality because it's you and so you don't need to do all those things Mm. I guess is what what I'm trying to say and so I wouldn't worry about that you're doing a great job and it's working so it's there's no need to question it, I don't think. Yeah. Hmm. 
Mm. And the other side of things that that seems to have kind of come up for you is you've got some good coverage and press coverage and stories and things like you mentioned really early on having Homestyle magazine interested in doing a story, which is amazing. And then that's continued. And I guess like for you, what you do is very visual, which really helps, you know, like it's all very beautiful and the process is, is very interesting visually and things. And you've got a great story as well, the way it started from a hobby and has grown into a business. But I'm wondering like for other people, who might want a similar thing to happen to them. Like, is that something that you sought out yourself in terms of getting PR and press coverage, or has that all just been people that have approached you? I have not sorted out at all, <laughs> um, which is lovely to be approached, and it is always extremely humbling and flattering to to have people want to interview and take photos and, and to hear more about how I got started. And I feel lucky that I have sort of caught the first wave of a resurgence in pottery and and other, you know, handcrafts that have really been taking off in the past few years and especially now. Um, so no, there's definitely no PR behind me. <laughs> it's not a PR machine. It what? Is, it's just me hopefully replying to your email. <laughs> Sometimes takes me a while. Um, no, and it's and it's really lovely, and I'm yeah, I'm very yeah, very humbled and yeah, yeah, and it's doing the job. It's like so valuable stuff like that to get the word out, and yeah, again, if it comes from an authentic place, then it's even more valuable. Yeah, nice. And the other side of things that, like, I guess putting a business hat on, on top of the creative side of things, but putting the business hat on it is the other sides of business that you're working on, like workshops and teaching, and then also wholesale supply. Those are all like, I mean, they're still obviously very creative, but they're a little bit more businessy. So how do you find all that side of things? Workshops have been amazing for me. And in the past three years since my older son was born, they've definitely been my biggest revenue stream hmm. um, because my um, hours for actually production have been quite limited and there's been a huge amount of people with huge interest in, in learning and the way that my workshops are set up is they're just a three-hour long workshop um, as opposed to like the 10 sort of weeks that I did and we kind of joke that they're like minimum effort, maximum results workshops so you can just come and make your thing and then I do all of the trimming and finishing and glazing and then they get set back. So hopefully you get back something that you feel proud of and that you want to use in your home um, as opposed to sometimes you can go to 10 weeks worth of classes and still, you know, not maybe not come away with something that you feel really strong about. So I think teaching workshops, the hospitality side of me, really shines in that. Of course, And I yeah. think that's where some of those skills came from that were transferable. And also my mum is a teacher and she used to a lot of workshops, so she's been a really great role model and inspiration and given me lots of good tips along the way. And I love them because I'm a social person and having people come to studio who are keen and so... Um, so excited to learn is yeah. it's a great and they energy. want to be there yeah yeah hundred percent and they're willing to travel all the way to Greytown now even though <laughs> it's of course yeah a bit of a hike but um it's very it's very lovely and I'm always happy happy to host people um, yeah. and do you do much wholesale supply I do have a few wholesale stores um, 
and it's always really lovely to get messages and emails um, for requests for new stores that are opening and I appreciate it but it's so hard just being a one-person production so unfortunately most of the time I have to turn um, people down my biggest problem in my business is the ability to produce a lot of work and it's something that I definitely want to look at in the next couple of years I mean it's a great problem to have it is, yeah um but it's a it's a golden problem like they say but it's still a problem yeah yeah absolutely and it's um you can get other people in to help you with different parts of production but when it comes to it I think I'm just a little bit of a control freak <laughs> <laughs> you kind of have to be though don't you like it's a very creative output and it's all got your name on it or your brand your maker's mark on it so it's it's very personal to you so you you have to be pedantic mm. about it and I love it and I, I really love the production side of things and design so wholesale is is a smaller part um, of the business but it's a part that I really appreciate because the people that stop the work um, like Kelly Thompson who's got Maker's Market in Australia she takes the most beautiful product shots and is a real champion for small business and small brands and as my stock is to sushi in Auckland um, had just the most beautiful store and Elliot's so engaging that people go in and you know they can see and they can feel the product and it's great being able to sell directly through my own website because obviously the margin's better um, but it's great to have that tangible ability to go in and see it and touch it and yeah all the stores that I work with are, are run by amazing all women but yeah amazing women <laughs> mm. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah, and you can have a really close relationship with them, I guess, when it's just like it's quite selective, and uh, you can kind of be deliberate about who stocks it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All part of the brand. Yeah. Yeah. And we've obviously touched on the fact that you've got a couple of little people in your lives now, and that change that changes things, right? Like I know, just coming from my business family experience, which I've talked a bit about before on the podcast, like that is just such a huge balancing act and especially for you because your business your work is at home right like you your studio is in your back garden you you don't go out for the day and and shut the door and not think about not that we don't think about our children, but you know, um, not think about our children for a while but you don't have that luxury you're very accessible so what's that part of that shift been like for you like creatively and and practically and logistically tell us about that part of your life well, when we lived in Wellington, I had my first son, Redford, and we were renting a house in Durham-Boren. My studio was up in Brooklyn. And before I had kids, it was so awesome to have the studio out of the house. Like you just said, I'd go to work in the morning, and I would work all day, and I'd come home in the evening. And then it was much more sort of structured. Um, but then as soon as I sort of had a baby, because like we were talking about before, everything is so time-sensitive with pottery it neither needs to be it's like another baby they need to be covered up or uncovered <laughs> or you've got to turn the kiln on or you've got to take the bungs out yeah. and um or things have got to be taken off molds and it's all needs to be done just at the right time so when we started um talking about buying a house and having space for a studio and things is why we ended up moving to Greytown was because we found this amazing um house with a studio which wasn't quite a studio yet we ended up doing quite a bit of building onto it and turning it into what it is now but we could see the vision for it and it's been amazing having 
my studio at home now. And it is, yeah, I do get little faces pressed up at the windows looking at me. Or if it's really hot, the doors are open, they come in. It's just like, no, no, no. And like touch things? Do they touch things? Touch things. Yeah. Like, Candace, you're grabbing little hands yeah. off that pot. Get out. <laughs> no, they're pretty good. Well, oh, yeah, I've got a big chalkboard, so if it does a lot of drawing, but I'm just, I just try and generally keep them, keep them out. But it does mean that you know, if I need to tend to something or turn the kiln on or off or make sure things are covered, that it's a case of just popping out down the back and doing it, and and it's done rather than having to get in the car and drive off and. And it's yeah, it's my own studio. I can do, I can do whatever I want to it. Yeah, you own it. Yeah. yeah, it's definitely a bit of both, right? Like working from home, it yeah, it's got benefits and downsides, I guess. Yeah, I'd agree, hundred percent. Yeah, and like different things work at different times of your life and different stages and things. So, yeah, I can yeah. see how it would work well. I think Molly's both still so small. I mean, Alfie's only one year old. That this is the way that it works best, but. You know, I do have a commercial listing for lease saved on my trade name. I like to look every now and then <laughs> because I do have visions of, you know, the brand being bigger than it is and being able to bring people in. And I'd love to give employment opportunities to people in the Wairapa who are creative and maybe don't have the space to buy their own kiln or start up their own studio um, but enjoy working and making things and would like to learn more. So... I love Hopefully. that. Awesome. Yeah. day. Exciting things on the horizon. Yeah. And the I guess the other thing about this that's also kind of similar, you know, I was thinking about your business and Sweet and my time there, there's parallels that is there as well in that you've made a business out of what was essentially a hobby for you in the first place, which I always find really interesting because it's such a beautifully natural way for business to come about and makes total sense and makes it super authentic and genuine like we've talked about. But it also means that what you used to do for fun, you now do for work, which is has to have an impact like I'm not saying that it kills your passion necessarily but I'm always interested to hear so what's your experience been like with that kind of hobby business line and have you managed to hold on to your like love and creativity for it I think when I started working with clay in my first sort of workshops and I just sort of felt like I just found my thing that it was this this was the right blending of form and colour and shape and creativity and, and manufacturing and hands-on work that, yeah, I just really felt like I just, it clicked for me and just found it. So, and I still feel like that, you know, nearly seven years on, I still love working with it and it's a limitless medium, really. There's so many different ways you can produce the work. You can use the wheel, which I don't particularly do. I still haven't quite harnessed the... Uh, <laughs> the wheel the mess <laughs> um, I still do all my hand building and I'm just starting getting into slip casting um, and making moulds and you know as soon as you sort of might I don't think you never get bored but maybe feel like you need to flex into a different area there is so many different ways to to do that within the medium whether it's like working with glaze or um, most of my clay I work with coloured clay inlay and that's how I add the colour to my pieces um, which is kind of the opposite way around people usually get into glaze and then move into other things um, whereas I'm just starting to get into glazing and I'm like oh, this is cool so 
it's always constantly challenging in designing new products or working with a different client that has a different sort of need expands your brain and makes you makes you think about how you can produce their vision or your vision no it's good that you've managed to hold on to the creativity and the commerce hasn't they haven't killed each other no i don't know if i do the best job of balancing it all all the time um but you know it's hard to be on top of every aspect of your business of course yeah when it's just you especially yeah and the the other side of that that i always found interesting was the like pricing side of things like um i don't know how you probably feel similar way that like what you put out to your products are so deeply personal like you've made them with your own two hands and it's kind of like a little piece of you and that's really hard to put a price on and to price it in the right way like and because you're basically charging for yourself <laughs> A little yeah. bit, you know, like you're like, okay, well, there's the cost of the materials and everything, and your and your rent and your fixed costs and things, but there's also a bit of you that you're charging for, which is your like creative magic and your brain, basically. And that's really hard to be like, okay, my brain is worth this much, please pay it. It totally do you, is. Do you find that? I do. Have, I find probably find that more with wholesaling because essentially you've just got to have whatever it's going to be sold for at the end. So I've got to say, I don't, the most scientific, I go, how much will people pay for this bowl? Oh yeah. Okay. Half of that. Am I happy with that? Mm, not quite enough. Okay. Go up. Oh, is that going to be too much? Yeah. So not a very scientific way of going about it. Um, but it all works out in the end. Mm. And, it, and it is hard. And it is, I think such a classic New Zealand thing to just, you know, be super humble and go, oh, no, it's fine, just oh, whatever. I'll oh, just have it pay. for free, it's fine. It's okay, fine. just take it, just take it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think that is definitely an area that I could use uh, a mentor in, I think. And, mm. you know, looking at treading the line between domestic functional wear and art and... Yeah. You know, where where that is or where it's going or where I want it to go. Hmm. Yeah, that's so true. That comes into that must come into pricing a lot as well. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. But I want my work to be accessible. You know, I want if somebody wants it and I'd say a majority of my customers are female. Um, you know, if somebody really wants to get something but it shouldn't have to cost all of their spare money for you know, for paychecks or whatever, you know? Yeah. I think that you do you want, do want to save for something beautiful that you want, but I don't want it to be so inaccessible. And we, we did talk a bit about, so like a growth plans, which I'm always very excited to hear about with your, you know, you dropped in about, you know, keeping an eye on commercial premises and stuff like that. And I guess for you, like you mentioned the biggest challenge with growing must be that keeping up with demand side of things that you talked about like you literally just have two hands and those two hands make and touch you know everything which means that you've got a limited capacity at the moment but is that kind of the model that it has to be in order to increase output is it getting where is it getting to a position where you do like the creative side of things and do the designs and then other people execute is that what it looks like i think that that could possibly be the direction that I'm heading in mm. um, but I enjoy making things so much that it would be hard to pass it over and yeah I don't I don't know 
I don't know where I'm going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it'd be a shame if you never got to touch clay oh, and you were just looking at a computer all day. I think the hard thing with making things with clay is as well, it's not just, you don't just touch them once, you make the piece and then you have to go back and trim it and then you put it into the kiln and then you get it out of the kiln and then you glaze it and then you fire it again and then you pack it. So it's such a... I don't know, it's so different to many other manufacturing processes where it's not just you make it and, and it's done and you send it. You've got to keep on revisiting. And there's so many points along the way where it can all just go horribly wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Which keeps things interesting for you. It does. It is such a roller coaster. You know what, the highs are high and you're just like, yes. And the lows are just like, oh, God, what am I doing? <laughs> just keeps you on your toes. Yeah. It's a good, it's a good, good kiln fire and keeps you coming back some more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sucks you in. Yeah. I guess there's a situation you can imagine where you've got people, you know, like a group of people that work with you and they, uh, you know, you have different things at different stages. So they kind of overlap and interweave. So there's always something to do, but it varies. And, and you kind of creatively are doing the like creative vision and the design. So you're still hands on in that way, but then other people kind of execute. I can kind of see that. Mm. Yeah. I think that there's definitely scope to to grow the business in that way in the future. And then we always do talk a bit about COVID in these chats because it's it, some days you forget it even exists, but then, because we're obviously very lucky where we are at the moment, but then you remember what's going on in the world. Uh, so we can't ignore it completely. So it's always interesting to hear what the impact has been of that on people's businesses and different businesses. So for you, I guess, like your workshops, a big part of things, like you said, and they would have had to have stopped. And then shipping as well, you couldn't, you, did you manage to ship anything during that time? Um, no, not during the complete lockdown. All of the workshops that I had scheduled were all postponed. Um, and then we picked them up again um, once we were down to level two, I think. Um, but it was really cool because everyone that was booked in to come to those workshops just came months later. You know, everyone showed up and said, well, I've been so looking forward to this months down the track. And then, you know, it meant a lot that the people were willing to wait for all of that time and then just we just picked up where we left off so I didn't ship anything out um, but I had lots of orders come in because people just obviously wanted to support local businesses and um, just have such amazing customers who obviously knew that it was a hard time and I put quite a labor-intensive design in mine up these rainbow bowls for pre-order during the lockdown and I got lots of orders which was amazing and I remember getting the first one and I was driving into Wellington and for another bowl as well from a really really lovely great customer and just crying Aww. just crying yeah. it was right before it must have been the day before we went into level four and it was really emotional it was so it meant so much that people knew how hard it was going to be and that they wanted to Reach out and connect. So I feel lucky that my business is weathered pretty well throughout that time. And I had only just finished maternity leave. So I hadn't been working to full capacity anyway. And not that I still am because I've got now two kids. But um, I actually got to work more over that period of time, which has been amazing. I had heaps of studio time. <laughs> great. I loved it. My husband was home. After the boys. Um, and then now that he's back at work, my 
hours are very, very limited. So it's been a bit more challenging in the past few weeks as we've come adjusted back into that kind of dynamic. Oh, that's so interesting how, yeah, how it just varies so much. And I love that you managed to use that time to like do something different creatively and have more time, you know, more hands-on time and still had little orders dinging away in the background. Yeah, it was awesome. I made some prototypes of some new products because there wasn't sort of the pressure on to necessarily be making a lot. Um, because all my workshops got rescheduled, I did qualify for the first payment, which was amazing. And it just took off so much mental pressure. Um, and, yeah, our government, honestly, fantastic. The small businesses and sole yeah. traders, yeah, felt really supported. And, um, and then, luckily, I had lots of orders and business picked up and I didn't need to go back, you know, and get that help again. But... It really helped in the first the first instance. Yeah, so good. Yeah. Yeah. And then of course now we're heading into Christmas, which I'm picking must be kind of a busy time for you, is it? With gifting and everything? It definitely is. Yeah. This year is a bit of a funny one because my studio hours are quite limited and um, there's not necessarily less work to do. <laughs> I've got the same amount of work, but I've got a lot less time to do it in. So I'm just yeah, trying how to does that like, work. Just trying to be super chill, super, super zen. <laughs> How's that going for you? Oh, uh, great. I'm so relaxed. I'm, I'm so, so relaxed. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a little bit tough. But you know what? At the end of the day, we're just humans and we can only do what we can do. And and it's just it's just pottery. Like, just what can you do? You can only do what you can do. Yeah, I like that. Sometimes you get so deep into what you're doing that it's just your whole world which of course it is that makes total sense but then you also lose a bit of perspective sometimes and and everything feels much more intense than it maybe actually is so yeah good reminder to just be like at the end of the day I can only do what I can do and it is just pottery yeah nice. yeah you are totally zen I'm impressed <laughs> <laughs> I'll try. <laughs> oh, yeah, I love it. And then we better wrap up because we're ticking on in time. Uh, I feel like I could keep talking to you for ages. But before we do wrap up, it would be really cool. I'd love to, especially like I always love to get tips from people, but I feel like for you, you've got this really unique position of being someone who had this creative talent that came really naturally to you and a hobby that you've turned into a business while still keeping the genuine creativity and things. So do you have any tips or advice or for, for someone who maybe is in a similar position I think just to find your own unique voice or style and it can be hard because there's so much media and Instagram it's so easy to look at all these amazing beautiful feeds of creatives depending on what it is they're doing particularly in pottery there's so much out there and it's and it's amazing and we can scroll for hours um but I think making a point to really create your own voice that is unique and you know if you see something that is you like don't make the same thing (laughs) (laughs) i i find that i agree in that i feel like at the moment i'm struggling with what i what do i actually like and what do i just look at a lot like what is my actual point of view in terms of like creative expression and what do I just see all the time on Instagram and Pinterest and therefore like just by default? Yeah. Mm. Mm. But it can be challenging because, you know, people might not necessarily like what you make as much as you do, but 
case, and it's hard in New Zealand as well because the market is quite small. But I think it's just maybe persevering. But then you try to make money and have a business. It's a tough one. Yeah. Got to balance all those things. Yeah. What do you find, like, creatively in that? Like, wh- where do you get your kind of inspiration from that gives you your own creative point of view? What inspires you the most? My inspiration for my work over the past couple of years has really been coming from my children. Oh, that's of awesome. anything. Um, there's colourful toys everywhere. <laughs> and I'm, oh, yeah. I've always liked colour, but definitely um, I think that that's really infused its way into into my work recently. And just trying to, I don't know, think about minimum waste within pottery. Most things can be recycled if they haven't been fired. Any sort of raw clay can be rehydrated and, and made back into something. So... Um, to make my tinted clay is all done with all of the scrap and then a new work that I've been doing with kind of confetti is all just the extra scrap that comes from running workshops and things like that so kind of just getting inspiration from within the studio as well and ideas just grow and morph and change on themselves Um, so is it wrong to say I'm inspired by myself <laughs> I don't know. It's just a very yeah. inspiring person. <laughs> I'm inspired by you. Why not? <laughs> oh, I love that. That's yeah. a perfect way to finish. Let's go out on that. <laughs> oh, well, thank you for sharing all of that with us. It was an awesome chat, and I just haven't stopped smiling this whole time. So oh, I really appreciate so. it. Thanks, Felicity. Bye. Bye. Well, I promised you a fun chat, and I feel like we delivered. But all of that laughter and fun aside, Felicity's story really is just so inspiring and I hope that you thought it was as well. I really loved just hearing about how she's really genuinely and authentically turned what was this hobby and love for ceramics that you can just tell runs so deep and she's created a job for herself out of this medium that she just so loves. It really is absolute goals so thank you Felicity for making time for a chat with me and thank you to you guys for having a listen remember that you can see Felicity's work over on Instagram at OneDare or on her website which is OneDare.com for online orders and also workshop signups and don't forget to follow at PipTalkNZ while you're over there too until next time bye